the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Vatican Insider with Joan Lewis. Each week, Joan brings you news from inside the Vatican and the church around the world, as well as interviews and answers to your questions. Now, here's the host of Vatican Insider, Joan Lewis. Well, welcome to another edition of Vatican Insider. I am with Father Bill, Father William Petrie. We are on the balcony, the lanai of the home of some friends of ours in Honolulu. Hey, Father Bill, welcome to Vatican Insider. Well, thank you, Joan. And actually, Father's the pastor at St. Damien Parish on the island of Molokai. And of course, that's where the peninsula of Kalupapa is. You all know those stories from St. Damien, St. Marianne Cope, and maybe a third saint someday, Joseph Dutton. We are delighted to be together for this talk. There's so much to talk about, Father, too. It's just absolutely amazing. But um, the focus is going to be, obviously, uh, Mother St. Teresa. Tell me a little bit about your vocation, Father Damien, and how you got to India and Mother Teresa for 25 years. Yeah, uh, Joan, I was 16 years old a junior in high school at uh, Brophy Jesuit High School Preparatory College in Phoenix, Arizona. We had a day retreat, and in between talks, we'd go to our homeroom, and um, our homeroom teacher would give a spiritual reading, and it was Damien the Leper by John Farrell, that uh, book we started to read. The retreat ended. It didn't finish. I went to the library. Couldn't find that book, but another book, the Heart of Father Damien by Vito Jordan. As I was reading that in the library, I got hit by the Holy Spirit. Wow. And I said to myself, I'm going to become a priest. I am going to the missions to work with leprosy patients, and God willing, it will be in India. Those three things came to my mind. Wow. And it took 16 years from that moment to the actual Getting to India. Getting to India. India. The moral of the story is, God stretches how he answers prayers. You know, that's about how long it took me to get to Rome. (laughs) I do want to point out one thing you said that is so important to me. The very first time I ever came here and even flew to Kalupapa, I noticed nobody ever spoke of the people with Hansen's disease, leprosy, as lepers. They spoke of them as patients or people who were ill with leprosy. But the word lepers was never used. I found that so meaningful. Uh, it, It could even be undertaken in a pejorative way or as an outcast. So I think it's very important that you made that distinction. Yes. Here in Hawaii, the official name is Hansen's disease. Mm. But as far as lep- the, the uh, worldwide uh, leprosy community, the doctors and leprologists are involved, it can be Hansen's disease or leprosy, mm-hmm. but never leper. Right, exactly. Yeah. You know, that, that's such a wonderful thing. So now we've learned about the beginnings of your vocation, but tell us about the beginnings of your journey to India. How did that happen? When I um, was going to be ordained, the interview with our provincial consul, what would you like to do? And I said, I would like to go to India. And they had heard the story, how I read the book and I wanted to do leprosy work. <clears throat> I said, we don't do that anymore. You know, and, and, and Kalapapa, it's the state and federal government is there and things like that. And so um, they said, anyway, wait five years. So I'd waited 11 years already, yeah, something I went on. <laughs> and it was the happiest five years being in 
parish ministry, baptizing and the weddings and the funerals and the youth, and I I just loved it. But as the five years was coming to an end, I thought, well, if no one's going to help me to get there, I better do something. And I had heard about Mother Teresa through a magazine article in 1965 from a magazine that used to be called Jubilee. I don't know if you remember remember that. (laughs) And somehow they did a story with her and the leprosy work. I remembered it. So I wrote her a letter saying I would like to come and volunteer for a couple of months. And I never got a response. I had to raise the money to go to India. My parish that I was at was very poor. They put on potluck dinners, car washes. They raised $1,000. I only needed 800 I took the other 200 and sent it to Mother Teresa with my second letter saying, <clears throat> I've got the money for the ticket and uh, I hope that I will be able to be of service in some way. No answer. No fax machine. Letters was like 30 days to get there and back. (laughs) So I had the day, the time, and flight. I arrived in Calcutta after telling them what it was, and no one was there to meet me. And just for a brief moment of time, I said, am I doing my own thing? Yeah. I stayed at the airport till the police came and said, the airport's closing. And I oh. said, where will I go? And they said, well, you can't stand, stay here. They gave me directions to a lodge in the center of town, 15 miles, 15 to 20 miles. And at that time, the Bangladesh War had just finished. Oh. There was a million refugees between the airport and the center of town. Wow. And as we wove through that mass humanity and uh, people under tents and plastic and everyone building their own fire to cook and soldiers with guns, suddenly saw a group of leprosy patients by themselves, banded, so to speak, and I said, oh, there's work here. The following day, I just went to the phone book, looked up Missionaries of Charity, called, and I said, hello, my name is Father Petrie. Can I speak to Mother Teresa? Uh, I came here to volunteering for leprosy work. She said, this is Mother Teresa. Come right over. Oh, and my And that's word. how it started. So she answered the phone in she addition to... The, always answered the phone when she... Wow, that is so amazing. Tell us about your first night, and she said some pretty remarkable things to you, and I know this simply because I did some research reading, and we'll talk about that in a minute, the, the reflections you have written on, yes. on Mother Teresa. But tell us about your, your first night and then daily life. Oh, when you tell us about that, I know I'm talking to a saint. <laughs> <laughs> well... She sent me over to the bishop's house right away to get faculties. And, um, oh, right, because you, uh, for, for those who don't know, a priest visiting in another diocese who will want to perform, who will want to say Mass or perhaps yeah. perform a marriage, has to get the quote-unquote faculty from the resident bishop. Yeah. And I went to see the bishop. He was archbishop, later to become a cardinal, Cardinal Lawrence Bicacci. And um, his um, secretary... Second in command was later to be Archbishop Henry. Those two people, Henry D'Souza, they were to be very special friends and mentors for me during that time. And suddenly, I didn't realize it, but when I look back, Mother Teresa, Cardinal Picacci, and Archbishop Henry, what a trio to be mentors. Oh, my heavens. And knowing them and how in some way they mentored Mother Teresa. Anyway... I'm being sent to the Missionary Charity Brothers, if 
founded by Brother Andrew in 1962. They identify with the poor completely. So it was beyond my imagination <clears throat> when I went. I went with a white shirt, white pants, <laughs> white shoes, would you believe? Because I worked in a hospital as an oh, orderly sure. one summer. So I thought that's what it was. Plus but, the heat of India. <clears throat> yes. And they said... Um, you know, it might be easier. Don't unpack. There's no place to put your clothes. And we'll give you two shirts and two pants. And so to go to a rummage room, so to speak, and uh, pick out two shirts, two pants. Nothing color-coordinated at all. Oh, sure. Uh, and so you'd wear one and wash one. You know, that's how wow. it went. The brothers lived very simply, like the sisters. They um, sat on the floor for mass classes. They all had a plate, a cup, and a spoon. It was located on shelves, and I was showed my designated place. So this is your private plate and cup and spoon yes, for that's your, right. for and I you have to wash it and everything you else. Wash I it out every night, as well as getting a bucket, which you're to wash your clothes after you take your bath. So one bucket of water. There was about forty in the house. And just the water tank couldn't handle it, so you get 140. We'd call it a sponge bath, the tie of it. And then to wash your clothes with the other. That's not even a Navy bath. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The big surprise was getting a bedroll, burlap, and a little thin mattress. And they said, you can sleep wherever you find space. So, what a culture shock for my first night. Oh, yeah. But I was so happy, and this was so exciting. And I was so tired. What a great night's sleep. Sure. But she said, and I read this on one of your reflections, and correct me if it was yes. the first night uh, oh, yes. that you met or not. She said, as you were leaving, Let's to your residence. Let's do something beautiful for God. Well, well, that's something. I mean, how could that not make you want to get up the next morning and do something else beautiful that for God? That was you know? the mission. There was the mission statement there. Do something beautiful for God. Right. doesn't matter what it is. No. Father Bill, you have written these reflections. I read the latest, which was the fifth reflection. Tell us a little bit how that evolved, and then I want to talk about one or two of the episodes you talk about in those. I gave um, a faith formation conference talk here in the Diocese of Honolulu. One of my old parishioners was there, and they came up, and they said, this is so interesting. Why don't you put something in St. Damien Parish Bulletin? every week until you go. And I said, that's a good idea. So I start one-page reflection, more or less calling the humanness of Mother Teresa, still getting at the background spirituality. And there's going to be a couple of more reflections okay. going into the dark part of her life right. and how you never knew it. She seemed so filled of joy and happiness and suffering so much in the sure. inside. That's how the reflection started, and I hope maybe next year to write a book. Sure, and we got to talk about that. You yeah. know, we got we've got to make that happen because just the reflections—they're—they're they're short enough to absolutely read in in one sitting, and they're such riveting stories. And I'm just going to look at one of my notes here. And in, in your very first one, of course, you talk about arriving in India, which you've just done, and that you learned from Mother Teresa that Damien, who was your inspiration for, for the priesthood, Damien was Mother Teresa's inspiration as well. That's fascinating. That cemented the relationship our first day. The smile on her face. There was no doubt 
I was meant to be there. She saw it as God's will, and eventually, when we were going to start a formation program to start our congregation there, she says, we have to do it right, and we went right to the prime minister at that time to get permission for foreign missionaries to come in to help with our formation program. She was so convinced. The prime minister said to uh, Mother Teresa, don't we have enough Indian priests and bishops and superiors? It was all Indian by this time since independence. And she says, but we don't have Father Damien's congregation, Ah, (laughs) which is the congregation of the Sacred Hearts of Jesus and Mary. Which, of course, is the first thing I should have said (laughs) after I I said your name. (laughs) Oh, oh my gosh. In your reflections, you talk about her her bedside manner. You talk about uh, people who want to be volunteers. I was very impressed by that because she actually, for people who like write her, she they don't answer because, or she doesn't. It, but she has said, if you would like to be a volunteer, do it where you live. Yes. Mother had no recollection of my letters or the check. Uh, because of the chaos of the war and the refugees, I think a lot of mail was stolen. She realized that. But a lot of people, after Mother Teresa became popular, you know, they start writing. I don't think they could handle it. But you show up in front of her, oh, yeah. then she knows it's the real I thing. I got a spot for you, yeah. And so what the sisters say to this day, if you want to come and volunteer, you're most welcome. Just come. Just come. Go to the 7 o'clock Mass. After Mass, you go down to the parlor, you'll have tea and uh, bread, and then a sister will assign you. And so that's what it is. But Mother's philosophy was Calcutta is everywhere if you have the eyes to see. Oh, yes, that was beautiful when you wrote that. And, you know, it's kind of like what Pope Francis, he's giving examples in Rome of working for and with the homeless and refugees and making sure the homeless get doctors and showers and things. And he's doing that in Rome, but he is asking others to do it at home. Yes. So in a parish in the U.S., in a parish in France or wherever. Yes. And volunteers still come. At any given time, there could be 50 to 80 people have to pay for their own ticket, their own lodging, their own food. And people, especially like Korea, even China now, Philippines, Japan, maybe one of the biggest, Buddhist background, they come and they go to Mass in the morning and in the evening for the Sisters Holy Hour they attend. Whatever strength the sisters get, they want to partake in that. And they're just as devotional at Mass as the sisters. Folded hands, squatting on the floor, kneeling. It sort of rejuvenates them to have the strength to do what the sisters are doing. Exactly. He is honored by the church as one of the greatest enemies of clergy sexual abuse. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. In his time, St. Peter Damien fought against the many vices of contemporary clergy, especially sexual abuses among the clergy. In 1051, he wrote the Book of Gomorrah that is still considered essential reading for fighting abuse today. He died in 1072. For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. The EWTN on-demand platform features 50 new podcasts every week. 
as well as an ever-expanding library of audio and video content for Catholics who want to learn more about their faith simply using their mobile device, computer, or TV. Your favorite EWTN programs are available 24-7. Visit EWTN.com and click On Demand. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. We pray because we want to come into union with God. He wants to breathe His life into us, and we want to accept that life. Because in accepting that life, we begin to experience the abundance that He has in mind for us to receive. Pray to God. Lift your praises high to God and present to Him every supplication that you might find the grace you need for the present moment that He presents to you. Everything good comes from prayer, says Mother Teresa of Calcutta, and so it is true. Welcome back to Vatican Insider. Here's Joan Lewis. Welcome back to Vatican Insider and part two of my conversation with Father Bill Petrie, pastor of St. Damien Parish on the Hawaiian island of Molokai. We've been friends for a number of years, and we met in Honolulu to talk about his 25 years of work with Mother Teresa. Father Bill, in another uh, one of your recollections, you you talk about her her bedside manner, which was so uh, incredible. You talk about her being God's special witness to love, lo- lo- very much like Damien was. And you talk about her quote sacred presence. Yes, the sacred presence goes back to when we were on a, a mobile clinic. And we didn't have any medicines one time, and so we didn't go. And the following week, when we went and patients said, where were you last week? Mother said, we didn't have the medicines. They said, it didn't make any difference. You should have come anyway. There was a starting point for my missiology. It's not the food, the medicine, the money, whatever. It is who you are and who you're becoming. Mother Teresa was christ filled. And she radiated that. And so in her presence, you were uplifted or affirmed or, as I said in one of them, you felt good. (laughs) Oh, sure. And and I know in, in the House for Dying, one of her kind of precepts, it was very important that you smile. If you don't yes. feel like you can smile in front of a patient, in front of the dying, yes. uh, you know what, then don't go. Yes, don't go. The, the poor have enough problems without carrying your problems, sure. she would say. And no one epitomized that more than Mother Teresa, who was suffering inside and always had the great smile, generous were no indication whatsoever of a spiritual struggle. And that was her cross. Certainly, and which n- nobody knew. There was a, a wonderful story you told, no names mentioned, we don't need them, about a prince who came to visit one day, came to the house of That's the dying. Right. Mother Teresa, after Mass, said, would you take this person to the house of the dying? He was going to volunteer. They kept his um, identity private. He didn't stay at a hotel, didn't have any bodyguards or anything. Um, the Discalced Carmelites had a guest room, and he stayed there with them. I picked him up. We went to the house of the dying, and as he was working, at this time he must have been about 20, 21, didn't someone from his country recognize him, oh. come over and say, I am so proud to be a citizen of, of this country. country yes. yes, And the prince looked up with tears in his eyes and he said, and I am so proud because of citizens like you. Wow. And that really affected 
the prince oh. and that uh, and affected me i had oh, tears how, in my <laughs> how could it not just and that's why i was so affected when i read yeah. about this yeah. this episode that i certainly you know wanted to ask you about it in your 25 years and was it mother herself or one of the nuns said we don't think an american could but with all the deprivation oh. and, and the little clothing yeah. and the little water and the tin cup and all that they didn't think that an american would be capable of staying longer than like three months yes Mother said that probably jokingly. I don't think Father coming from the United States is going to be able to last. When my 25 years concluded and I was coming back, the sisters told me what Mother had said. They said, we get people for three months. They say six months. They come for a year, two years, even three. No one that we have sponsored has stayed 25 years. Yeah. Wow. So that was a grace from God. Oh, of course it was. I... um, got an answer for where my strength came when some contractors who helped build this leprosy center were present and they said how can you do this it was the middle of the jungle 25 miles from the closest town no running water erratic electricity and they said you don't have a wife you don't have children you're from the united states of america you have so much there we can't do what you're doing how can you do it And the superior came in, she heard the question, and she said, because God loves him. Oh, my. And so I told that to Mother Teresa. She said, that's it. How do do you do anything? Now, I was never deprived of anything. I was happy. I was fulfilled. My priestly ministry, the association with the patients, helping out in many ways in the diocese also for masses retreats and things sure. like that. And if I say, how did you do it? And I said, it has to be a grace from God. Mm. And once you, Mother said, once you recognize that God loves you, you can do anything. And isn't that what Pope Francis is always telling us too, you when go. you think about it. Pope Francis is like, how many times do I have to say this for you to understand how much God loves you? Mother Teresa, from that was it. Everything had to be done with love, with that smile. And that was part of her, what you called her sacred um, presence. And I had another one, I called it the uh, theology, spirituality of powerlessness. Oh, uh, how beautiful. That, um, watching mother one time i accompanied her visiting southeast asia countries where she wanted to open houses all communist governments some there was success some there wasn't and on the way back i said mother i know one of your secrets she said you do what is it then i explained mary at the foot of the cross on calvary was totally powerless there was nothing that she could do but she stayed on calvary i said mother you go to all these Calvaries, anywhere in the world where there's suffering, you stand there and something happens. Mm. And she said, yes, that's how it works. Brilliant. But she never saw it as sure. powerlessness, but I saw that. Well, let me ask you, where were you when Mother Teresa died? I was at um, a leprosy center that I helped get established. After my first Four years in the Diocese of Calcutta at her Shantinagar Leprosy Center. They had no priest, and I went there. And they helped the sister start uh, a new center. And I was there. It must have been 10 o'clock at night. The superior of the local community in the state of Orissa, Bhubaneswar, the city, called and said, Mother died. I said, what happened? She 
was crying so much, she put down the phone. I got the earliest plane out in the morning and went. And I can't tell you how lost I felt and how alone. They say when your mother dies, you know, in the family, that's it. The other siblings, your father, but when your mother dies, you know there's a cutoff. And that's what I found with Mother Teresa and they went they had the body ready the following day almost for private viewing. And, and it was the, the world for five five or maybe six, five days yes. uh, earlier had buried Princess Diana yes. with whom Mother was fairly close. The princess I know just loved, esteemed, and admired her. Now what would you love people to know about Mother Teresa that they might not know. You know, did she have a fun sense of humor? Did she play practical jokes? Or <laughs> um, she was a terrible joke teller, to tell you the truth. Oh. But she tried. Yeah. So okay. everyone laughed. I always say she was like your grandmother. You couldn't find anyone more normal, natural, loving. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we traveled in the Southeast Asia countries, we uh, ate at a table in the room, usually government guest house and things like this. And when the food came on the tray, uh, trolley, she would want to serve it. She would do it personally. And then, if there was anything left over, I had to eat. Father, you eat when I cry. Oh, my God. Isn't that something? And I always felt that was uh, interesting not to waste. Not that there was overabundance, but nothing was going. She was like your grandmother. Okay, finish this off. We talked a bit about something before I started recording. Something else I read in the reflections about, like when she traveled, even if it was a very long trip and hot and dusty roads and the train was hot, she would never want to eat or drink. Yes. In India, for international travel, she would take water and the food that is served and anywhere the convent that she stayed. But in India, part of her sacrifice identifying with the words of Christ where I thirst, she would not drink water Mm -hmm. in a four or five hour trip, tropical weather. She would not eat any snack or cup of coffee or tea until she got to the place. And it was that identification again. She loves Jesus so much, I can do this for him. And she had great devotion to the souls in purgatory. She had great devotion to the aspect of reparation for sin. And these were the little ways that she did it by herself. Sure. She never recommended to anyone else. No. Don't drink water. Don't or eat, don't yet yeah. do as I do. Yeah. Or any, so, so she really was a, a model. Father, our time is up here, but I, I want to tell you, this has been another great joy for me. We'll see each other in Rome. I'll come back and and I'll come to Molokai and go to Mass again at St. Damien's. And we will share more stories about the St. Teresa of Calcutta. Okay? Thank you, Joan. Thank you. God bless. For more information on these stories or to check out Joan's blog and to ask her a question, go to EWTN.com. That's EWTN.com. Thanks for listening to Vatican Insider on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.